the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. My guest this week is Francesca McDonough, Chief Executive of Bank of Ireland, the biggest lender into the Irish economy. We spoke about the impact of COVID-19 on the bank, the payment breaks it has offered to thousands of its customers, the likely fall in property prices this year, and when the bank might restore its dividend payment for shareholders. But first, I asked Francesca how she herself has been coping in lockdown. Uh, Hi, Karen. My routine in some ways hasn't changed. I'm I'm spending a lot of time working, but I'm obviously doing that from home. So I'm at home here in Ireland. I've been here throughout the, the lockdown period using a much more Zoom calls, much more technology. I've only been in the office twice, actually, once for our virtual AGM and once to present our first quarter IMS, trying to get a bit of exercise in the morning, walk the dogs or the evening. But during the day, and this is something that I think is challenging all of us, just, you know, unusually long hours while we get through the crisis, sort of what I call Horizon One operational response to to, um, covid but also now spending more time thinking about the future, how we how we support our customers and get the economy back on track. But I fortunately haven't been impacted from a health perspective. My, my husband and, and, and I are fine. My parents live now in Northern Ireland and they've, they're cocooned and safe and well. And friends and family um, in the UK um, seem safe. Oh, very good. Have you had a chance to slip across the border and see your parents? <laughs> no, I haven't. There's a lot of Zoom action. So it's interesting to sort of talk about about digitization our business but a necessity is the mother of digitization and my own mother who to be honest you know i i struggled to get to use an atm is now setting up zoom calls watching her grandchildren do karate at home classes and has and is, is online shopping and you know ordering grocery delivery slots all the time so no i i am been tempted of course as i would love to see family but no i'm absolutely respecting the guidelines that have been given and i wouldn't want to put them in danger Okay, the guards will be pleased to hear that, uh, and and Leo Veracker as well, I'm sure. And so, tell us about the impact on the bank of COVID nineteen. Obviously, this uh, hit us all very hard in March with the lockdown. What has been the impact so far on Bank of Ireland? So, I would say it's been an exceptionally challenging ten weeks for everyone in the country, and obviously, we're, we're you know we're, we're part of the, the the challenge, and hopefully, continue to provide support for our, for our customers and communities and colleagues. So. I would have come out quite recently with our first quarter trading updates and pre-COVID. So up until about the sort of third week of March, our trading had been very strong. We would have grown our net lending, cost down, asset quality improving and good progress all around. But we've seen since the third week of March that COVID has hit our economies and our businesses, and our customers, you know, pretty hard. So we would expect that tr- our trading environment, so the appetite for new mortgages, consumer borrowing car loans to be very impacted in the second and third quarter. We're seeing from um, SMEs a real need for liquidity. So a big increase from SMEs and also corporates in terms of drawing down cash facilities. And also, of course, as an industry, we proactively agreed the need for payment breaks. And that's been a huge impact operationally, but also I think a very important support that the sector has provided to households and businesses to give them some breathing space during a period of great uh, disruption and uncertainty. Okay, so how many people, how many of your customers are currently on a mortgage break? So um, in Ireland, we would have done now over 33,000 payment breaks across different products. So for example, 
We've agreed approximately 18,000 mortgage payment breaks, and that's about 10% of all mortgage customers um, that we would have in, in Ireland. We would see around 4,000 customers on consumer loans taking a payment break and 11,000 of our Irish SMEs. And that's about 5% of our Irish SME base, although by value, it's actually higher. It's about 26%. And some of those customers, it is because they are you know, their income has been very disrupted. For others, they just want to have some breathing space and some, some flex as they, as they lean into a period of, of uncertainty. And we were very quick as a sector to proactively say we're going to offer payment breaks to customers. We thought that was the best reaction and what from the industry and also what customers need and want. I, you know, I wasn't here in the last financial crisis, but I know that the impact on reputation of banks in Ireland, trust amongst society and also the profitability of banks has been adversely impacted. And it's taken more than a decade to, to, to really start to recover, particularly around sentiment and attitude. So how we behave today, next week, next month in response to COVID will define how people experience and perceive banks, banking, bankers for the decade to come. So for for us, really leaning into the payment breaks was critical, but also providing support. So at Bank of Ireland, we would provide now over 4,000 customers with either cocooning support. We go to their homes and actually help them or we get um, them to empower a close friend or family member to come to a branch. We've dedicated phone lines for vulnerable and for healthcare workers and dedicated service times and branches. And those are also important in addition to the payment breaks and, and working capital facilities that we've been agreeing, particularly for SMEs. So what's the average payment break that, that has been granted so far to your mortgage customers? Um, I would say this is an average. I mean, we're seeing sort of 10, 10%. Typically people, you know, they wanted the full three months. We've now given them the opportunity to extend for another three months. Interestingly, not every customer is automatically going to, to, to um, six months. We give the customer a flexibility over whether they would want the payment break, which um, gives them some breathing space to not have to pay principal or capital during this period, whether they want, they prefer for that um, break to be spread evenly over the remaining periods of their mortgage, for example, so a slight increase in their monthly repayment, or whether they would rather have the three or six months bolted on to the, to, to the back end. And that is a more expensive option for the customer, but it may help them in terms of managing their monthly cash flows and ingoings and, out, and, 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 out, and outgoings. It, it really varies. I mean, it's very, it, it depends on the individual circumstances um, of customers. If people are actually permanently impacted or have been worried about their business or their household debt management before COVID, that is a different conversation and one that we would certainly encourage customers and business, um, households and businesses to be having with us so we can help them because maybe a payment break isn't in their best interest if there is a more fundamental challenge about their um, household or business income. Yeah, sure. Uh, the people who are on payment breaks, uh, typically have they lost their jobs? Have they had a pay cut? What's the profile of that customer? Um, it really varies. So in households, it may be customers who have had temporary disruption on their income. They may have getting government support, so um, receiving less income. For others, they may have uh, lost their job. For others, it may just be that their overall household, they're just feeling a bit vulnerable and they want the certainty to have one less thing to worry about for a three or six month period. For businesses, it really varies by sector. So we will see some sectors you know, having actually an increase in, in volume of sales, um, particularly those in essential services. But for a lot of sectors like tourism, hospitality, restaurants, um, you would see particular disruption where their revenue in many cases has fallen to absolute zero. 
Now, some businesses are adapting and we are seeing, particularly in the food space, innovation. So people moving from, you know, in restaurant dining to delivery and click and collect and much more activity in terms of their social media or online ordering functionality, which is great. It's a great investment. And I think that even as we come out of COVID, there will be certain behaviours, patterns, trends that actually will endure. And one of those may be just more click and collect or or, or um, takeout or home delivery as opposed to consuming within a, a, a store or, or, or a restaurant. I think businesses that are thinking ahead of the sort of the next horizon as restrictions lift will find themselves better prepared to to, to deal economically with their um, with their own business and adapting the business model to what will be in some cases permanent change is certainly something we're doing as a bank and we we advise our customers across all segments to be considering. So when we come to the end of the six months, which I presume is around September time, how many of those eighteen thousand mortgage customers, let's say? will be able to return to their normal payment schedules? Uh, And how many are you going to effectively have to put in default? So we don't know. I mean, we would certainly be encouraging, as you'd expect, customers to resume their payments after the three or six month payment period. And you would expect that given a combination of restrictions being lifted, businesses getting back to work, and also support from the government to support households and businesses, that most customers would be able to to get back on track. And even though it's 10% of people, for example, asking for a mortgage break, 90% didn't. If we find there are cases where customers have had their, their household income or their employment more permanently disrupted, then we would we would have a conversation about how we can help them get back on track. And that may be a change in their um, repayment um, profile or period. But that is then getting into what we would call forbearance. It's a different different type of treatment and it does impact people's credit record. The three or six months payment break doesn't impact people's credit record. And we would certainly encourage people only to take a payment break if they feel they really need to um, and certainly to start making plans for resuming their payments um, as soon as the payment break um, is over. But presumably you must have done some scenario planning around this. I mean, what's your sense of how many people won't be able to go back onto their normal payment plans? Or indeed, some customers might already have indicated to you that they won't be able to go back to their normal uh, repayments at the end of the six months. So it's difficult to to really be prescriptive about this because no one has absolute certainty about how the economy um, will recover in the second half of this year and into the back end of this year. We work on the basis there will be recovery in the fourth quarter and certainly going into 2021. I don't think any economist is projecting negative GDP in 2021, even if there is a decline in GDP that everyone expects, certainly um, this year. When we did our first quarter results, we would have taken a management overlay in terms of provisioning of 250 million euros. That isn't because we had seen any specific deterioration in lending or repayments, but because just the outlook for the economy is an adverse one, particularly in 2020, and we thought it was appropriate and prudent to take a management overlay. We haven't done customer by customer or portfolio by portfolio analysis to articulate if more needs to be taken. And that is something that as we get into our interims in, 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 in um, August, we were reporting on our first half, we'll be giving more of an update on. And we will have then also a bit more of insight into what is happening as customers come out of the first payment um, break of three months and how many of those are um, effectively resuming payments as, as, as normal. It will also depend on just, you know, how effective the lifting of restrictions are in terms of containing what is a you know, clearly a global health crisis. And that will um, be a big indicator into how the economy 
reacts. So that's very much a, a response to the global pandemic, as opposed to something that we are able to predict with certainty um, sitting here today. And similarly for the SMEs, because I mean, a lot of businesses simply aren't going to reopen, are they? Or if they do reopen, they're going to reopen with a much uh, smaller capacity. Those in the service industry, in tourism, etc. I mean, tourism is going to be absolutely whacked this year. Summer, you know, summer is over, uh, effectively, and it hasn't really even begun for them. So how many SME customers uh, do you think at the end of the six months are going to need uh, some class of a forbearance arrangement? And how many of them might simply go under? So I, I don't have a, a specific prediction because I think it's uh, we, we don't know yet. But what we would see is that businesses whose business model was vulnerable before COVID will, will, will struggle to come out of COVID. Businesses who have had, you know, very impactful, but albeit temporary disruption, but their underlying business model is strong, will come out of it stronger. But businesses that adapt to the changing environment will potentially be able to come out relatively stronger and actually thrive coming through. And I think when we talk to industry, we speak to our customers, when we would speak to, to government about the sort of interventions and supports that are needed, we've certainly urged for that to be on a sector by sector recovery basis, because it really, really depends which sector you're in. So for example, it can be R&D grants for products and packaging innovation in the food sector so that they can adapt to changing consumer habits and, and preferences about how they purchase um, their food. It could be about helping food and drink producers find new export markets or supporting, as you mentioned, hotels and the hospitality sector adapt to a reduction in overseas tourism, but potentially a big increase in domestic tourism whilst configuring their premises and their operations. And certainly we've seen within the retail sector, supporting our customers pivot from stores as deliveries or collection or an online presence is key. And um, we, we, we speak to our, our customers every day to, to try and support that transition. So, for example, in the, in the hotel um, industry, looking at minimums, many of our customers are saying that they're looking at minimum night stay because um, that helps with the sort of profitability of, 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 of and the viability of, of keeping hotels open, particularly if they have to do deep clean in between um, each, each visitor. So those are sort of these the sort of examples. Um, I think in, in food and, and beverage, Obviously, everyone is still grappling with the concept of social distancing and what that will mean in terms of how they can operate sometimes quite small premises. And, you know, if two metres versus I know some of the industry representatives will be talking about um, reducing from two to one because it has a significant um, improvement in their ability to manage the capacity and viability of their of their um, of their restaurants or their or their bars or pubs. So these are, I think social distancing is a very, very live issue. And obviously, primarily, this is about responding to health advice. But there's also just a um, commercial reality that many um, of our customers are grappling with is how to ensure they can reopen and remain profitable and viable in the long term. Yeah, but there's a, a, a reality to the economy as well that Pascal Donahue has been telling his colleagues in Leinster House that 300,000 people uh, could be made permanently unemployed as, as a result of this. We could have unemployment levels of around 17% at the end of the year. And, and this, you know, initially there was an expectation that we might have this V-shaped recovery, so a sharp uh, downturn followed by a sharp recovery. But I don't, I don't think any economic commentator is expecting that now. So maybe let's just talk about the property market. What impact do you think COVID will have on house prices in Ireland this year and next? Okay, Great question. And just to just come back on the, the U and the V. So um, you're right, there has been a big shift from, from V to U. Um, our outlook for the uh, for Ireland's um, GDP 
is despite a reduction of 8% this year, an improvement of 7.5% next year. That's the sort of the, the numbers that we would have published when we, when we did our first quarter. Yeah, can I ask you about that, actually? Because the, the, the 8% reduction is very much on the optimistic side. Uh, everybody else uh, since then has been uh, coming out with, with double-digit uh, reductions rather than, rather than 8%. Well, I think, actually, the, the, you're, you make the, the right point. Things are moving very, very quickly, which is quite why it's so difficult to be prescriptive and, and, and definitive in our outlook. That was the outlook that we felt reflected our analysis and was broadly aligned in consensus when we did our first quarter results three or four weeks ago. But as COVID is demonstrating, three or four weeks is a bit of a lifetime now. I mean, you think about how the world has changed in the last 10 weeks. It's difficult to then get too definitive about what's going to happen in the next 10 days because there is so much change. But I think that the, 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 there's been a shift away from a V-shaped recovery expectation to a U. The depth of the view and the gradient of the recovery will depend on many things, including how effective the lifting of restrictions are, the impact in terms of people's health. Brexit, we're not talking about Brexit, but there's a, there is a lack of face-to-face diplomacy happening right now. And that is a, you know, even though a no-deal Brexit risk was averted in 2019, it still very much exists and it could impact the gradient and the speed of the recovery in, in, in 2021. And um, you asked about, so I didn't answer your question about the um, the, the, the property um, market. So one of the things that, that is, has been quite noticeable in terms of just mortgage business, and it's not particularly surprising because people have been in lockdown, but you know, April and May are typically seasonally the busiest um, couple of months of the year for mortgage applications. So pre-COVID, the sector would typically, so the overall industry would typically get it be receiving about €2 billion Euros of customer applications per month. And in March, as a, at a sector level, that came in at about £1.76 billion. Um, and that obviously reflected the last week, if you like, of, of March beginning to be very disrupted by uh, impacted by lockdown. In April, that fell to below one billion, which is a very low level, although some people would argue that's probably more than they would expect. That people were still seeking applications for mortgages. When we look at the sector drawdown, so how many people are actually drawing down on those mortgages, not surprising in April, um, the industry was down 30% year on year. So there is still activity but it is much reduced. Now, some of that is because feasibly going to you know, visit a house uh, in person is not being possible. People have been looking at properties online, but also there's obviously the economic uncertainty. So it has reduced, but we would certainly, and we're beginning to, to see in general in the economy, some slight pickup in activity in the last week and obviously getting into next week's further, hopefully further restricting um, easing of restrictions. In terms of pricing, I, I, I don't know. Um, the general consensus in terms of residential pricing in 2020 is that prices may drop um, between 5 and 12%. It depends very much on how things will recover, but it could be, um, you know, people will think it was, it's within that range. But what's the Bank of Ireland view on this? We wouldn't be speculating about a specific house price number, but the consensus view of 5 or 12% seems reasonable. It depends on so many variables, Kieran, in terms of, you know, is there going to be a resurgence in in, in, um, in COVID cases, how successful the lifting of restrictions are, and also the, the success and, and impact of government interventions to get the Irish economy back on track. And obviously, we have a role to play in that as well. But um, I'm frequently asked by investors, what do, what do I think regarding the government's intervention to help the economy um, get through COVID? And as a percentage of GDP or gross national income, which is more relevant for Ireland, you know, we would look to be on the slightly lower end of the, of, of the scale. 
Now, if you look at that on a per capita basis, it looks slightly more favourable. And obviously, the, 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 the intervention is also about managing public deficit and public debt. But it, it, a lot also depends on the ability to get, for example, the state guarantee um, scheme of €2 billion Euros for Irish SMEs up and running as soon as possible. And that's certainly something that we would support. Just, just sticking with, with property, let's uh, talk about Bank of Ireland. I mean, what impact has uh, COVID had on the level of applications and drawdowns for Bank of Ireland in April and May? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, up until the first quarter of this year, we would have had a 26% market share in new, in new mortgages, which is very strong. Um, I'm, I'm not giving a, a sort of trading update beyond the first quarter. I've given sort of a huge amount of disclosure in terms of our first quarter. We would be experiencing, not dissimilar to the overall industry numbers that I've just provided, in terms of some reduction, um, particularly um, towards the end of March and in April, but also customers re-engaging with us and, and having interest in, in still getting back on the property ladder. The fundamentals of Ireland, where housing supply is, is short of demand because the demographics isn't going to change. But people's confidence and appetite to take on new debt or new mortgages is understandably reduced during a period of economic uncertainty. Yeah. Um, Tell me, in terms of people who are mortgage approved coming into this crisis, uh, have have any of those uh, approvals been removed as a result of people taking a pay cut or as a result of people maybe being laid off, whether it's temporary or, or permanent? I know, I know this is a very, it's a very hot issue for, for, for customers because actually when you speak to particularly first-time buyers who are looking to get a mortgage, certainty and confidence is really, really important to them as well as sort of price and, and, and other aspects. So people want to know they've been approved, so they can look for homes and if they make an offer, they can draw down and, and be safe in that process. So mortgages that have been approved stay approved for this period unless, and this is where we would want a customer to sort of, you know, proactively speak to us, if a customer's income has been seriously changed or their outlook around employment or household income has, 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 has been adversely impacted quite materially by COVID, that's a conversation that we would like to have. And that's not because we don't want to do mortgage business. Of course we do. But it's in no one's interest to be drawing down on a mortgage where the individual isn't able to pay the first month's um, mortgage payment or is going to get them into to huge financial stress. Sure, but I mean, we're not talking. We're not talking about a small number of people here, are we? We're, we are talking about hundreds of thousands of people have had their uh, incomes impacted as a result of COVID. And I'm wondering, for example, if somebody's on the wage subsidy scheme and they they were mortgage approved, are they still mortgage approved, or will that approval be withdrawn? So, it, first of all, obviously, the, the the number of people that are are going through a period of unemployment is is very material and it's having huge impacts on them personally, professionally, economically, in the economy. Some of those customers will be, at, you know, in certain segments or certain income levels, they wouldn't necessarily be applying for a mortgage. Some will, and if we see a case where someone has some level of income continuation or support, but it's maintaining their same level of income, and they're in a sector that is likely to get be getting back on track, or or it's, it's a temporary issue then that mortgage may still go ahead. If they are having a significant reduction in household income or they've been permanently laid off, then then that, that is a very different conversation. It's difficult to speculate sort of in generalities. It would depend on the individual. But I, I want us to do more mortgage business, but I equally want to make sure it's sustainable for individuals. So they're not saddled with a mortgage that they can't pay. Another thing that we get asked a lot about around mortgages is valuations. So existing valuations remain valid for current drawdowns if they're within four months of the date of valuation. And we haven't seen, even though we talked about the expectation of some 
reduction in, in, in house prices in 2020, we have not yet seen evidence to date of any material changes in, in property valuations that would undermine the valuations that we, we saw going into COVID. But the, the point is, we've not, I, I don't want to be, it's in no one's interest to be drawing down mortgages that are, aren't sustainable for an individual. And I would have checked with if are there cases where customers are at risk of losing a deposit because they've made an offer based on a mortgage which they can no longer support. We, we are not aware of any cases amongst Bank of Ireland customers, but it's certainly something that we are engaging um, very proactively with customers and we would ask them to, to talk to us if their circumstances have changed materially. But if somebody goes to Bank of Ireland and says, uh, I'd like a mortgage, I want to get on the property ladder, um, I've had a pay cut, uh, let's say 10% for argument's sake, um, will Bank of Ireland approve a mortgage in that case? Or if somebody goes along and says, I'm currently on the wage subsidy scheme and will be until, un, until that uh, expires, but I want to apply for a mortgage, uh, will Bank of Ireland accept that application? So it's difficult to talk sort of that, that in a such binary, binary way. In the first case, if someone has had an income reduction, they stay in employment and that income reduction is 10%. The mortgage application will be on the basis of then 90% of their original income, depending on that income level, depending on their credit history, how much of a deposit they can afford, then that would typically, yes, be a sort of more, um, a discussion that we'd be having. And we've seen, I think, you know, whether it's fixed pay reducing or bonuses or commission, a lot of disruption in Ireland around income. And that is likely to endure for some period. That doesn't prevent a customer from still getting a, um, a mortgage. If someone is a, is on an income continuation support from the government, it really depends on the individual case. And what we're seeing is that many customers want to wait and see. They don't want to be settled with a debt they can't afford. It depends on the household as well. If it's a joint mortgage, the person that they're getting the mortgage with, their circumstances. So it really depends um, by the by the individual. But um, you know, ultimately, we were on a growth trajectory before COVID, and even if there is disruption in the second and third quarter. Bank of Ireland, we're very much focused on um, supporting the recovery of the Irish economy in the fourth quarter and certainly getting the, uh, playing our role and getting the country back on track as we go into 2021. The fundamentals and the attractiveness of Ireland in terms of from a, from a banking, but also from an investor perspective, from a workplace perspective, is, is still very compelling um, in the more medium term once we get through this immediate crisis. Is this the calm before the storm for the bank? Because you have uh, thousands, uh, 33,000 customers you mentioned on uh, payment breaks. So you haven't had to apply any forbearance uh, measures there. Um, and who knows how long we're going to be uh, in recession, etc. So you're, you're in this kind of holding pattern, if you like. And the real whack to the business will come in September when these payment breaks expire. And either people start repaying their uh, their loans or else they're going to have to go into some forbearance arrangement, which is bad news for you because that's something you have to recognize on your balance sheet. And the economy, I mean, you're, you're, you're making it sound as if um, the economy is going to recover in Q4, but we've no, we've no visibility of that, uh, essentially. We may well still be in a deep recession in Q4. In fact, a lot of people think we will. So... You know, is this the calm before the storm for Bank of Ireland? Do you have enough capital on your books to withstand the COVID hit? So there's a, there's a few questions in there. Let me just try and try and break it down. So first of all, the Irish banking sector, and obviously I, I speak for Bank of Ireland, went into this crisis in a very strong position from a capital perspective. So the requirements around capital have really changed since the last financial crisis. And the level of capital that we hold would be high, we'd have a robust capital position, and also the regulatory actions have enabled banks to have more flexibility in using some of the capital buffers. So 
technical terms, but but basically banks going in are in a strong and robust capital position. The issue is much more about earnings. So obviously banks make money from 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 two main sources, interest income and fee income. And interest income is, is really driven in a low interest rate environment from lending and lending book growth. And we've been, um, Bank of Ireland, for the last um, two years, we have been growing year on year in terms of our net lending. Um, in corporates, um, certainly supporting SMEs um, and seeing more credit formation also in, 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 in the Irish um, and also in the UK mortgage sectors. We can expect now that for a period of time, there'll be less lending growth because there'll be less demand from consumers and there'll be economic uncertainty. It's not a supply issue from the bank. We can lend more. We have the capital to support customers. But there will be customers who will be reticent to take on a new mortgage or invest in a new factory or new facility during this period. And that does impact our, our income during um, during this year. Also, fee income and a big area of growth that we've been very successful in the last couple of years is our wealth and insurance business. And even though that you know people still want to talk to us about protection and, and, and investment, it is you can imagine it's less so now. People want a level of certainty. They're encashing some of their investments to give them a, le- a level of flexibility. So those two factors do mean that earnings of banks, and this isn't specific to Bank of Ireland or banking in Ireland, it's it's a common theme across Europe and the UK, will be having an impact on earnings because of COVID. On top of that, there is also an expectation that loan losses will increase because some businesses or households won't be able to get on track and they won't be able to repay some of their facilities. And that's one of the reasons why we took a 250 million overlay in our first quarter in anticipation of some level of credit deterioration because of the economic decline. Now, the specifics of what that will look like and individual provisions being taken, we just don't have line of sight of that now. And that's something we'll provide more updates on in our interims and and our full year results. Our response to that has been to support customers, colleagues and communities. So we've lent into this through payment breaks and supports. We've made a significant effort to support our colleagues, serve our customers. We are an essential service. But also, obviously, like any business, looking at our own business model, looking at our efficiency, looking at how we respond. It's a big shift to digital. Um, There's some permanent changes in in behaviour. We're seeing some acceleration of existing trends around contactless, digital, um, you know, purchasing online, but also some very new trends. So working from home, we had maybe three out of 10 of our colleagues working from home some of the time. We now have in excess of seven out of 10 working from home all the time. And I actually expect that to increase. We're piloting about 20% of our contact centre agents to be working um, virtually as well. And social distancing is a trend that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. And that will impact how we service our customers, how we organise our own employees in our buildings. And that's a sort of business model change, whether you're a small fishmonger or a large tech firm or a bank, a a pillar bank, um, certainly are things that we are challenging ourselves to ensure um, that we we come through um, COVID strongly. At Davy, we know uncharted territory can be a challenge. We've been in business since 1926, and since then, we've advised many different clients through many global and national crises. Some will seek comfort in the safe and familiar, while others will embrace the opportunity to try something new. Throughout the years, we've not only listened to our clients, we've got to know you personally, helping us advise you on a financial life plan that suits you best. Davy, it's not just business, it's personal. Janie Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. 
Let's talk about that business uh, reshaping because last month, 100 people, I think just over 100 people were let go at a, a customer uh, care center in Kilkenny. Why was that? And should we expect um, more job cuts at Bank of Ireland uh, over the next sort of six to 12 months? So those were contracts um, contracts that, that come to their maturity and weren't renewed um, as opposed to um, employees, full-time employees of the bank. Still difficult decisions. It does reflect shifting demands and behaviours of, of customers. So we're seeing more of our processes being digitised, which I think is a good thing. So the reason that we were able to respond to payment breaks very quickly, and this was a, you know, before COVID, we would have one or two payment breaks a day. And at the heights of COVID, at the beginning, we were having a thousand payment break requests a day. And to, to scale up that quickly, it's not about sort of more people working hard. It is about changing processes. And we've digitised our processes and that's just one example, payment breaks. But it does mean that in some areas we need less manual work um, that provides a better service for our customer, but does change the, the makeup of our employee base. And I've said before that there'll be fewer people working in the future in banking than there have been in the past because consumer behaviour is changing. And that is true today as it was pre-COVID. I mean, that acceleration to digital um, is, 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 is also going to change how we serve our customers um, in, in branches or face-to-face and their preference increasingly to do online or by telephone. Sure, but I mean, I presume you're going to make a loss this year, so uh, you're going to have to seek out efficiencies. Um, and uh, labour costs are, are one of the big uh, expenses on the business. So are you going to be seeking um, job cuts over the next sort of six to 12 months? So we've been reducing our costs year on year for the last two and a half years. Um, in the first quarter, we reduced by 3%. So reducing costs isn't new to us. We have momentum about being more efficient. Half of our costs are people, half aren't. So we would be pretty relentless in terms of looking at our, you know, our physical, um, our, our, our head office space, um, our use of travel, our use of, of, of outsourced suppliers, etc., to be more efficient. But obviously, we'd also look at our, our people costs. And, you know, I'm really mindful that right now, um, I have been overwhelmed by the motivation, dedication, hard work of our people, people in the front line, people in operations, and people at all levels of the organisation. And so, you know, our, our primary focus during this period is responding to our customers' needs. And the tenacity and the resilience of our colleagues has been exceptional. And that, I hope, has been felt by our customers. Yeah. Um, I mean, just in terms of expenses, you are going to have to cut your expenses, aren't you? You are going to make a loss this year. So I, I'm just, so, I'm just so, wondering... So Kieran, I'm not making any projection on our, our, our financial performance this year. That you're, you're obviously welcome to your very, very informed view um, but the cost reduction activity that we are doing has been going for, on for two and a half years. Um, we actually increased our, our, our cost reduction target um, at the start of this year before anyone had really heard of COVID. Um, there are opportunities always to be more efficient. And if that means less paper and bureaucracy and, and um, processes for customers, then that is a good efficiency and enables us to be competitive um, and, and give better service to our customers. And it's not just cost of operations, it's our, our, our cost of you know, managing our cost of risk, managing our cost of funding. These are all things that you'd expect from a healthy, well-run bank. All right. You've cancelled your dividend for 2019. Um, when do you think you'll be able to pay a dividend again? 
So all banks in Europe... Um, now, let's just talk about Bank of Ireland. Let's, let's just be specific about Bank of Ireland. OK, so we, we cut our dividend in response to regulatory guidance for all banks. It wasn't a specific Bank of Ireland issue. I do need to provide that context. It's important. Dividends incredibly valued and important for our shareholders. So those sort of actions aren't taken lightly. We Our dividend policy is unchanged. We will increase our dividend on a prudent progressive basis to... Um, a 50% payout ratio over the medium term, that, that hasn't changed. Obviously, the, guide, the glide path to that has been impacted by COVID, which will impact earnings of banks in the near term. So it's, I'm not going to make a prediction of when we're going to return dividends. Um, we will do them as soon as, it is, as, as, as we have the, the earnings and it's appropriate to do so. Yeah. I think Goodbody have, uh, have suggested it could be 2023. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, obviously, we would, you know, analysts and, and brokers' views are, are, are always very valuable um, and are, are used by investors. I don't think that is an outlying sort of outlook um, versus um, other banks in Ireland or indeed other other banks in, in UK and Europe. I'm aware of the research. Tell me just about the office. Um, do you think COVID spells the end of the office as, as we've known it over the years? It's a really good question. I think it is fundamentally changing the nature of how we all work. So I mentioned before that over seven out of 10 people are now working from home. I look at our office space and we've been reducing our, our, our head office space by about 25% in the last couple of years because we're having more open um, layouts and, and more flexibility. And I think there's going to be there's going to be more of that to come. So as we get into the next phase of restrictions lifting in Ireland, I'm not going to be, you know, rush. I'm not going to be encouraging our colleagues to rush back to the office. There's logistical issues around social distancing. So lifts and, and office space or meeting rooms that have minimal capacity. But also, I think there's been just a social change towards working from home. Now, it isn't for everyone, but for a lot of people, it's cutting out what was on average an hour commute each way. We've got the technology. Um, I've probably had more visibility and engagement with colleagues and customers across a broad range of, of, of topics in the last 10 weeks from, from working from home because it's been technology enabled. And I also think from a social mobility perspective, you don't have to be in Dublin to, to, to progress your career, which I think is a perception that many people have. And that has associated costs around housing and lifestyle. And I think the ability to be able to do your job anywhere is very appealing for many people. Now, I'm a realist. Not everyone has a dedicated room in a house which they can work from. Some people will be sharing accommodation. And I'm often surprised when I speak to many of our colleagues how many of them are doing it from a bedroom because that's their only private space in maybe shared accommodation. And also people with, if you've got four kids under 10 um, and no no childcare and you've got um, either a single or both parents are working, that has a huge impact in the attractiveness of working from home. So I think it will vary. But um, like I said, I've been to the office twice in the last 10 weeks for a number of, for an AGM and for our results. I'm not encouraging people to go back anytime soon. And that's in response to health advice, um, work from home if, if possible. Sure. And long term, uh, how many people, or what percentage of your workforce do you think will be remote working? So we haven't, we haven't got a target or a number. And it's actually something that we're, we're surveying amongst our colleagues at the moment about their preferences. You know, some people could do this permanently and some people are itching to get back. Um, and it really goes back to what our customers want as well. I mentioned before about contact centres being virtual. And I think that there were certain roles that we thought always had to be done on site. Um, and we're really challenging that that sort of that belief. And contact centres being able to be working from home, if someone has the ability to have a, have a private, quiet space, 
opens up is one example of innovation that that actually has been has been necessary during COVID. There's no point in going to the office to do a Zoom call. So I'd rather do the Zoom call from home. But we also need to make sure that the teamwork and collaboration we're not losing. Um, and that obviously it's in response to customers' preferences. But um, I would say for our customers and ourselves, there's been a huge shift to working from home, new reality. Um, and I think that will be one of the more enduring and permanent features as we come through the COVID crisis. And Francesca, have there been pay cuts or will there be pay cuts at Bank of Ireland implemented? Um, so that isn't there isn't something that we are, are, are planning to do right now. Um, we have looked at we've increased the pay of individuals who've been working on the front line as essential workers and coming into branches or where we do have on site contact centre operations. Um, and I think that is fair and appropriate given given the efforts they've made. We are reducing costs overall, um, but we haven't announced a pay cut. Um, obviously, we're always looking at ways to be efficient, but assuring ensuring that we're that we're paying and rewarding our people in an appropriate way. Is it on the radar? I think at the moment, everything that we, we look at always to be efficient. Um, it's I know bankers pay is always a very a very controversial area that people inside and outside the industry will have opinions on. We don't have bonuses um, in, in Irish banking. Um, so what we're seeing in some other countries where they do have bonuses is they're reducing their bonuses. So they are they are they are reducing the upside, if you like, of banking. We don't have a bonus system in amongst Irish banks that we can vary. Um, so it really is focused on fixed pay, um, and it's not something that we're that we're planning to do currently. Okay. And has COVID put an end to any thoughts of removing those restrictions on uh, pay and and bonuses for for bankers? It had been on the uh, it had been on the agenda previously. Yeah, I think now now would be incredibly tone deaf to be arguing that bankers should be um, or anyone should be paid more. To be honest, I don't think that's just that's that's not confined to banking. I mean, ensuring that a sector is is paid appropriately and fairly is something in the medium term that we obviously want to ensure. You'd have seen that we would have had as a sector quite a few meetings with the BPFI, with the T-shirt, um, we had one meeting with the T-shirt a couple of weeks ago, and also with the, with the Minister for Finance and the Minister for Business. And, and that engagement with them and, and their um, their departments is, is ongoing and constructive, as you'd expect. So finally, Francesca, your outlook for the year as a whole? So, I mean, from a health perspective, I hope that, you know, obviously people come out safely and well. Um, everyone is worried about friends and family, first and foremost, particularly the most vulnerable members of, of our society. Um, as an economy, we would see um, the early signs of recovery, hopefully, coming through in the fourth quarter. That depends on many things. We would certainly be delighted um, if there was a government formation that enabled more intervention and support, particularly of Irish SMEs. Our focus is being there for customers, colleagues and communities um, and helping the Irish economy reboot and get back on its feet as we go into 2021. Great. Francesca McDonough, thank you for joining Inside Business. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Francesca McDonough of Bank of Ireland. Thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe.